Welcome to the Vitality Coach Podcast with the Mojo Maker and host Nikki Fogden Moore, the Vitality Expert, dedicated to helping you be the CEO of your business and your life with special industry and life leading guests, top tips on how you could create that magical blend of healthy, wealthy, and wise for CEOs, entrepreneurs, founders, and people who do things with life. Hi guys, welcome back to the Mojo Maker podcast where I get to interview incredible visionary people who do things with life. Remember, I don't do hope projects. So today I have managed to seconda from way down south, the very effervescent and extremely intelligent Steve Tai. Steve has a silent G in his name, by the way, so you'll find it as T-I-G-H-E if you're going to search his name on the internet, and so you should be because this man is considered a visionary in his field, and also he's not just about science and numbers, he's about planning what are we doing in our future, and how can we get the best practice to declutter all the information that has gone into this world to ensure we're high-performing companies, and as individuals, we have a really great way to navigate for seamless success. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Steve and welcome you to the show. Well, thanks, Nikki. It's great to be here. Yeah, and I know that was making you a bit nervous because we were like having several attempts at coffee. So we've both got a beautiful, delicious cup of coffee. And I think you've done a great job, to be honest. It, took a, it did take a lot of effort, though. Yeah, well, that's uh, because we that. ran out of milk, so we had to... It happens. But those sorts of things don't, um, they don't stress us out. So, Steve, for those people that aren't watching us sip coffee while they're actually listening to this podcast, driving somewhere on the treadmill, it's a real privilege to have you make some time. You've just come off the back of your book launch. What is your quick bio intro in official terms before I give the dictionary questions? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I introduced myself as a strategist, a strategic designer. So, I um, you know, design strategies for organisations, but they tend to be long, long-term long strategies. Um, so tend to be a minimum of five years, but most likely uh, kind of 10-year strategies. And I think the reason that organisations prefer that kind of 10-year horizon is it enables them uh, with enough time to actually transform what they do, how they do it, and even who they are. And I think that, that transformation is, is essential in what is it, you know, a, a, a changing and volatile business environment. And you had a Foster's background, so we have mm-hmm. a, a co-friend, Mark Trulson. Yes. Uh, and you're both pioneering in your own way now, so they must breed them great there. What I love about your message when I first met you on the Central Coast was your undeniable mission to help companies be much more productive with the information they have and yeah. look at things from a completely different perspective. Sure. Yeah, a- absolutely. And um, so, look, just to give you a bit of background on my relationship with uh, information, if you like. So I started at Foster's in 1995, um, which is a long time ago now. But And I tend to think that period, probably beginning in the early 90s, and certainly continuing up to today, um, if anything has got worse, you know, we're talking about predictive analytics and, and so forth. Um, I think if you, if you um, throw an umbrella over that period of time, last 30 years, it's almost like we've existed in the information age. And organisations have been on this quest to accumulate more and more data and information mm-hmm. in that quest for a competitive edge. And um, so I've been a part of that that whole zeitgeist, if you like. And as I said, I think organisations are still caught up in that. So I started at Foster's in um, a market research position and I worked my way up to the point where I was probably 
the senior market analyst in the organisation, you know, without a doubt, so supporting the sales vice president, the marketing vice president. And um, so in, in that first eight-year period, nobody would have done more market analysis in the 150-year history that, of that organisation. And uh, so I was very much um, in tune um, with what was available and also how, how that information was used and certainly what wasn't used. And um, so it was through that kind of um, close relationship that I saw the weaknesses in information and how companies use it. And um, I think the weaknesses in traditional sources of data, if you like, are that um, often it's syndicated data. So mm-hmm. the, the information that you're receiving and we're competitors, uh, the information you receive is the same information yeah. I receive on, the, on exactly the same day from the same supplier. So the winner in that situation is the supplier of the data. And you see that with, with companies that provide. So we're at Foster's and we're getting the same information as Coca-Cola. So from McKinsey or something, etc. Exactly. Some, yeah. so, some external yeah. support. So, yeah. and, so they've done really well in that context. Well, they've made their life easier because they could just batch dispatch, right? Spot on. So on the 15th of each month, pretty much market analysts in each of those companies gets the same email in their inbox. Mm-hmm. There you go. However, so why, why did sorry. no one ever ask a question and go, "Are we getting something different?" Did anyone do that, I, or did they just sort of accept that was just the norm? I think it's accepted as the norm. I don't, and I think there's a lack of knowledge around. Yeah, but how would we generate our own? You know, what do we do? And but so, that starts with curiosity, Steve. So I think a lot of people tick boxes because they need, they know they need the information. And it satisfies that need, but they don't necessarily have a real desire to use it. So when you have a desire to use that information, you become more curious. And I'm probably preempting your point too. I think you're right about that. So, you know, we were spending multi-million dollars per year. So so would our competitors. And 90% of that information goes unused. Yeah. Okay. And and, um, I I worked with another, having left Foster's in in, uh, the late 2000s, I um, worked... um, for another multinational, just did a project for them for about six months. And, you know, I spoke to the marketing director and I said, well, tell me how you use information. And he goes, you know, we, we don't use what we have, um, but they always want more. And I, I think that's, that desire for more is something that permeates every organisation. You know, that what else can we accumulate as if, that, you know, as if that'll solve their problem? But, I, I just, I totally agree. And on that point, I just think, you know, if anyone's listening to this right now, I would urge you to think, how do you want to receive this podcast information? Because this isn't just an organizational issue. This is actually an individual issue. We're pushed as consumers and individuals from the moment you get out of your house or you wake up, we're bombarded with information. So whether or not we want to receive it is a different discussion. Mm. And the, the value of information is something you're speaking about from a company perspective. Mm. But we have an individual birthright to go, do I want to receive this and how do I get rid of what I don't need? Yeah. So when you started talking at Foster's and started asking questions, mm. you added value to the data you're receiving because you could use it differently. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I was a very um, curious person and so I, I tended to try to look at the information um, differently because I was driven by competition. So my desire was what can I find that'll help us as an organisation against our competitors. And that curiosity and desire for, for to be competitive led me to the fundamental question, which has dictated the direction of my life since, which was in December 2003, I asked, you know, how do you get ahead of trends? Okay. Yeah. So the, and so a trend is basically past behaviour 
and um, a forecast is an extrapolation of that trend. And and organisations love trends, right? And um, we all innovate to the latest trend, but and uh, and you need to innovate because essentially a trend represents a a know, movement, a, a yeah. fundamental shift in behaviour, exactly. okay, a, a sustained shift. So yeah. if you don't shift with it, you lose relevance, okay. So you, you know that's the positive. The deceptive element of trends uh, is is twofold. One, they don't really give you a competitive advantage because a trend, by its very nature, is visible. You know, you can measure it. And uh, as I said, if you can, so can everyone else. But the really deceptive element of trends is that because they are an extrapolation of the past, they don't forewarn you of discontinuities. So when you ask, when I asked the question, how do you get ahead of trends, what I was really asking was, how do we develop the capacity, the capability to anticipate and prepare for important discontinuities before they occur? Now that, and I think that is the fundamental challenge. So you're talking about a change business. in trends, not the trend. Exactly. You're where's talking about the that, next, that corner. Where's the shift? Exactly. Yeah. And and that's the real power, so that's the, I think. that's forecasting what's the next thing to happen. Exactly. Not, now, yeah. So now, once you ask that question, so my interest is not necessarily in, in what is already kind of underway. Where's the next shift? Yeah. And that's, so you're using, you know, uh, an element of vision, of analytics, of creativity, of curiosity. Creativity then, is key, yeah. And then absolutely. also, and I think, by the way, I just want to say that all this information is available on Thinking Strategy in Steve Ty's new book, which we're actually going to, you know, he's extrapolating all his wisdom for us today, but it's in here. But I think the biggest thing for people is overwhelm while you're talking about this because they're going, yes, but then what's next? So in all your years of knowledge that have taken you from 1995 Mm. and being the the curious cat, I'm sure you had a bit of pushback when you started to ask the suppliers for more specific information and for forecast. How Mm. did that work for you? Well, I think, well, um, as I said, I asked the question, um, how do you uh, get ahead of trends? It led me to just simply Google the word foresight, and lo and behold, there was an institute down the road, uh, Swinburne, University, mm-hmm. which actually taught a master's in strategic foresight. Ooh. Okay, now there's probably. Did you go do that? Absolutely, I did. There's probably three of those in the world, and one of them is four kilometres down the road. So very fortunate. Well, I call that fate and serendipity. I it, mean, as know. I said, yeah. That, I mean, as I said, that that question, how do you get ahead, has really dictated the direction yeah. of my life. And um, so I started the masters in March. I um, it's a three year masters, of course. In uh, May 2004, I wrote to the CEO. I said, look, we should have a foresight manager because I instantly recognised the value of having that capability. And he wrote back and said, I agree, you're it. So I'd been studying eight weeks. I had no idea uh, what it actually entailed. And I think this is a, it goes back to your point about being overwhelmed because I started work in June 2004 and I remember clearly I was sitting at my desk. So my, I had a, my role was essentially... What could Australia look like in 10 years' time? What are the, the fundamental wants, needs, and attitudes of people in that society? And what does it mean for us as a beverage company? So quite grand kind of uh, roles. And I remember sitting down day one at my desk and just feeling completely overwhelmed with what could happen. I mean, I didn't have the skills to decipher what was important and what wasn't. And um, that, to me, the next 10 years or the future just appeared as this vast, unknowable black hole. And one of the keys to actually unlocking uh, that black hole, if you like, or demystifying the future, 
is to let go of dependence on data and information. And, and that, that, well, that's control. That's critical. It? Yeah. So I just want to pause you sure. on the second of vision and thinking big because sure. um, I'm, I particularly love this idea that in order to adult in the world and really thrive, we need to be curious. So mm-hmm. whenever people are very afraid of change, you know, I can remember going, oh, all the kids are at school now are on digital. They can't handwrite anymore. And I was thinking my parents must have said the same thing. And, you know, we're a society that there's so much going on. I just want to touch on virtual working spaces. I was at KPMG the other day, just such a dynamic organization. We're talking about how do we make people feel at home? Because there's so much change and so much information that nobody's anchored anymore. So you have a gift that curiosity empowers you, right? So it's a good feeling. But Mm -hmm. a lot of people that overwhelm, um, without the analytical way to go, this is an opportunity, actually get very afraid of the unknown. Yep. And companies get afraid of the unknown because um, it makes them feel vulnerable. Yep. Right? Yeah. And I think a bit of that vulnerability comes from, um, you know, your expertise is in doing, you know, what you know today and so what you do superpower, today. Right? And absolutely. Yep. So I think one of the, the things with change that, that people um, tend to avoid, if you like, or, or a bit afraid of it is, they don't know what to change to, or they don't have the capabilities to. So, but why do we need to know? Why don't Why don't once we just start one ask one question, another door opens? No, I, I can see your angle there, but I, I, I guess a lot of people are. Uh, yes, the whole question: you know, a bird in the hand is worth more yeah, than yeah. that bullshit. Well, because that's so. why people stay in in organisational stagnation and relationship stagnation because better the devil you know than the devil you don't because you're free-falling. But you're saying you don't need to free-fall because there is a a matrix in which you can design forecasting or to make give yourself a roadmap. Well, I think it's always easier to change when you know what you're changing to. You know, what what you you step out of that door, but you know what's behind door number two or whatever it may be. I think when you don't know what what is behind the door or is anything behind that door at all, uh, yeah. that's when people perhaps get a bit... Um, and commercially, um, it's like moving house. People want to know that if they're going to commercially be viable, they have to make conscious decisions. They can't just wing it. So you've gone from doing your master's and being head of foresight at Foster's yeah. uh, and generating more and more of an intellectual capability around the space yeah. to, to being a champion of change now, a champion of, of unknown. Yeah, and I, look, and so I think there's a there's obviously an acceptance that um, you know the world is uncertain and it, it's it's always shifting, and I think what holds organisations back more is not necessarily that they're afraid of change, is that they don't know how to think about change effectively, and and by thinking I mean how to foresee it and how to prepare for it, and I think that's really the space that I try to work in to help them to foresee how their business environment could shift. More importantly, what that shift means for them and then what they need to do or what they could do to prosper in those. So you're really saying, look, the future looks like these three doors. Uh, behind door number one is this type of environment. Door number two is this. And this is what you need to do using your to prosper behind each door. Yeah. So you're really kind of stripping away, I think, that fear of perhaps the unknown. So let's just talk about a couple of roadblocks commercially for organisations that are medium to large to enterprise that understand the importance of this, but are probably like stuck in the amount of information they have to wade through. And then there's also, we've invested so much in this data. So there's three roadblocks that I see working with, you know, scale and automation and, um, you know, everything that's coming up now for growth and sustainability means you're only as good as the quality of the information that you have. Yeah. 
The first, what would, let's just give everyone listening three key basic steps to assess uh, and be empowered to go, here's how you drop the pin before you keep going around in circles. The number one thing is, what would you say the first thing to do is when you your ears start to get excited about this information, you go, maybe we should be looking at it. What's the first thing companies should do? Well, I think the first thing companies should do is we start to list, well, what are the factors that if they change would really make a difference to what it is that we do? So I think by that you're really saying, how do we identify and explicitly identify what are the fundamentals that drive our business? And a lot of those fundamentals, organisations and industries take for granted. And let me give you an example about retail. Now, you know, with retail is under attack from a number of different areas. And one of you know, some people say, well, they're losing sales to online or so forth. And sure, so the online environment is changing, and therefore that would be one factor that you want to start to explore. But some of the, the fundamentals that have driven performance in the retail environment over the past 30 years has been that, that consumer desire, that social desire to own and consume more and more. Mm-hmm. Now, many organisations just take that for granted. They just assume that will persist. But I think your starting point for, for thinking about the future is to identify what are the fundamental drivers of our current and historical business performance. The second question then becomes, which of those drivers are changing or could change? And I, th- I think you've touched on a huge thing culturally in the world. We've been in a minimalist uh, Marie Kondo world, smaller houses, decluttering. Because people, you know, there's probably another recession coming up. People are going to be forced to go less is more because we're, it's Spot just on. like anything. And I think that's what I say with oil and gas. We, we I always sit around the boardroom table with some of my clients and go, why are we surprised that there's going to be peaks and troughs? If you look back from the history of mm. any kind of archetypal industry, yeah. that's just nature. People go in peaks and troughs too. So Absolutely. so there's always what's the next move, the next shift. Mm. And, and you can see it already. You don't even have to be a rocket scientist. I know that that people are looking for less clothes. They're, they, you know, we're talking about donating. We're talking about less plastics. We're, we're really trying to have a less is more. So quality and experiences yeah. and mm-hmm. connectivity. Mm-hmm. So people need to be, they'll be forced to be around their kitchen table more. They'll be forced to socialize more because the spending on credit cards will go down because it's strict. Like there's just everything. So what, what, what you've just articulated is the space I work in, which yeah. is really well, about... Did I get a high five? Did I do good? You, you always do well. But um, <laughs> the, um, you've, what you've just articulated is a scenario. You say, okay, if, yeah. if this happened, all of a sudden you leapt from decluttering to sp- people spending more time around the kitchen table, yeah. okay? That was just a, a scenario. So it's kind of a, a secondary or tertiary kind of outcome. And that's really the space that I like to work in. So, okay, so what is changing? Yeah. And you, you are to go, okay, people's attitudes towards consuming and owning are changing. Okay, let's take that as a key driver because if I'm, a, if I'm in a, the business where people consuming and owning stuff is to my benefit, then that's, that's a, a shift key. that's really important yeah. to me. And, and so you want to just kind of articulate and say, okay, well, you know, what would happen if that trend took off? So the first step we said is articulate the fundamentals of your business. And might I add here, yeah. like any personal brand as an individual, we don't actually really – if I look back at what I deliver and my statement from day dot, it's never changed. The, maybe the way in which you deliver and the area we deliver it in, but the mission behind it, I think as organizations, they lose sight of their roots. So the delivery of how they get their product or their, their service across – it can fit a changing market, but their core values. You have, you have just um, highlighted 
an, an absolute key point. I feel like get a gold star from you. Well, Your uh, face is just lit up. You've obviously... Um, no, uh, this is just how red, I work. Well, you know? and you're, you're absolutely true. So let's go to your mission, your purpose, whatever, your, your core uh, does not change. But, yeah. but to enable you, so what you do, how you do it, uh, can change. That and has to change. Who you do it with. Yeah. Who you do it with, et cetera. That has to change to fit the changing context. However, you need that. Your, it all stems from your sense of identity. So, yeah. kind of who you, how well, you like see yourself. Exactly. So, I think with the whole point to allow you to adapt is your sense of identity must be broad enough. So that that foundational aspect is number one. Must be broad. The second thing that you want companies to think about, uh, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I can't help myself, is that they have to let go of the ties of uh, preceded data they've invested in. It's almost like whatever got you to this point, okay, line in the sand, what's the best thing for us moving forward? Spot on. Yeah. So I think always think in terms of context. Context determines everything. So and that's why I mean, you know, understand, let's say you're a business, look back over the past 10 years, what was the context that allowed us to perform and to operate and to deliver the results mm-hmm. that it did? Now, that context is always fluent. It's, it's fluid. So what, as I said, what are the, the fundamentals of our, um, of our business? Which of those fundamentals are changing or could change? Because they will now determine a different operating context for the next 10 years. And therefore, we need to now adapt what it is that we do and how we do it, who we do it with to remain successful or to achieve our goals over that next period because within a different context, what we do or what we did, sorry, is unlikely to be as yeah. successful. So your landscape changes, so the old rules of engagement are probably no longer there. Your core doesn't yeah. change, as you said. Um, at, at your core, you're still who you are, but how you operate and how you yeah. deliver what you do changes because yeah. of the changing context and, and bringing that back to retail like the valet the the in you know i work with center group uh with westfield a lot you know they're a terrific company to work with very dynamic and um and they're global but that's all about experiences and and we need that as humans so i think it's not and i the other thing i want to touch on is that i feel people are so short term about business mm. when really an organization that's starting to think we want to be around in 10 years time without fear about that means you have to be in the driver's seat yeah. but anyone listening to this if you run a small business if if you're if you're consultants and coaches like steve and myself why are you not thinking the real value is in what you do anyway so why can't it be a, a, a 10 where do you want to be in 10 years why mm. don't you start getting curious instead of going well that didn't work out so i think we have these short-term fight or flight matrixes, whereas real businesses ride the storm. And that's mm. why I love GFC sometimes because the quality always lasts, mm. you know? Uh, look, and I think you've hit on a really um, valuable point there as well, extending your thinking. And I think that extension goes um, goes goes um, time-wise, so out in front of you. So, you know, a 10-year horizon is better than a five-year horizon is better than a one-year horizon, gets me so et cetera. Excited. And then extending your thinking outside of your industry. So it's kind of broad as well as kind of yeah. a longer horizon. And and by I think by taking that longer horizon, you're instantly now taking into account much more variables that could affect your business as opposed to kind of that short-term operational variables. And I just love this if you come back to an organisation as an individual just like any person. Mm. And I think when people jump from one thing to the other because it's the latest craze, that's sometimes what companies do rather than always going, what is our decision-making matrix for our actions? Mm. Because does it fit our values? Does it fit our current service offer? Does it fit our future plans? And 
what do we really want? And and I think that's really beautiful. You've spoken about three core things. Know your foundations. Why are you in business? You know, yeah. McDonald's still sell burgers. Mm-hmm. They might have coffee and chicken wraps and fruit sundaes, but they're a burger house. Yeah. And uh, they don't try and run away from it. Understanding your why is yeah. critical. And I think it's got to be a broad sense. So and, and a, a broad sense of identity allows you to adapt. So what you are, you're true to your heritage, but you're relevant to the future. And, that, and that's a key. When you have a narrow sense of identity, okay, you, you can foresee all the change in the world. But if you have that narrow sense of identity, then you say, well, look, that's all well and good, but how is it relevant to us? You know, we sell computers. And so I think by having that broad sense of identity, you can, you can pick the relevance in, in change. So, um, you know, this is such a big topic. I wish, I wish we could do seven different episodes, but I promised listeners, because we did a little blast out that we try and keep our um, podcast to 20 minutes, because I know a lot of you um, are time poor and... You know, we, we really want to use that effectively. But what I will say is this is just one of many chats with Steve because it's definitely the space that I work in. If you want to find out more about Steve, I'm going to put all the links. But just to wrap up, whatever size of your organization, um, I think whatever you are, wherever you are in life, this is even for your family. Like I always say to my clients, you put time into your business plan, but have you put the same time into your life plan? When did you last look at what does life look like? And when do we last be mm. curious? So if, if you are scared of the future or if you don't know your ins and outs, you don't know your budgets and your plans and what your core offering is, I, I encourage you to, after this podcast, to sit down and go, what are my foundations? What are the foundations of our corporate legacy, of our family legacy, of me as an individual? Because we all have a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. We're part of this change. And I, don't, I think if you and I, through our, our work, can empower people to embrace and feel that they're part of it rather than afraid of it, the only thing I'd like to loop back on for you, Steve, is what is one piece of advice that you give to organizations that have invested so heavily in data, yet 90% of it is yeah. defunct? Well, I think um, just to rethink how you think about data. And, and it's not the, you know, the, the lifeline that, are, that I think at the moment it does kind of perform that role of, of a lifeline. We feel comfortable and we have a sense of comfort that we is have that access to this. It, it is a bit of a justifier. And, and often it's used to put out fires internally. I think that in terms of information, um, the, the great turning point for me was to realise that when, you, when it comes to thinking about discontinuities, okay, and it's the discontinuities that matter because they're the ones that have the, the chance of either impacting your organisation in a positive sense or a negative sense, okay? So the, the discontinuities don't come along too often, but when they do, you want to drive them if you can, exploit them if you can, and, and certainly avoid them you know, if they're not in your interest. So if trends and historical data don't necessarily give an insight into future discontinuities, I think the most important um, uh, tip I can give you is that understanding processes for change how does change actually occur is much more important than accumulating endless streams of historical data or subscribing to industry trends and so forth because they won't necessarily give you any indication about what's actually coming at you that is strategically significant. No, they'll probably reconfirm some decisions you made a while back. Exactly. And they go, well, you know what, we did that marketing campaign didn't work, but there we can see why or whatever else. So it's like a nice... So I have got this analogy that the rear view vision mirror is smaller for a reason and the windscreen is bigger, right? So in organizations, I say always learn, regroup and refine 
by looking back, but spend this amount of time looking back and this amount of time with a with a peripheral vision mm-hmm. going, hey, hey, what else is out there? Yeah. There are certain types of people that are really good at this. So let's talk about identifying inside an organization just as we wrap up the curious minds yeah. that can articulate what to do next because a lot of visionary people know what it looks like in their head, but yeah. actually articulating that vision and putting it into something that is useful for people to work with. Yeah. There's a real art to doing that. I yeah. mean, you've done it. Mm-hmm. How do people find unicorns inside their organization yeah. that can assist and be foresight foresight managers for their own company? Well, look, I, I think those unicorns uh, exist everywhere. And I, I think one of the challenges has been the way we think about strategy, which is really what we're talking about. And I think historically, strategy has been treated as if it's this kind of special thing that only the best and brightest can do, okay? And, and traditionally, it's been kind of middle-aged men in dark suits behind closed doors, and they develop a strategy, they emerge from behind the closed doors, and they deliver the strategy to the organization, and they say, we've done the thinking for you, now you go and implement, okay? So, the, you know, the best and brightest or, or managerial leaders do not have a monopoly on brilliance. And I tend to think you need to take a collaborative approach to strategy development. And, and by taking a collaborative approach, my philosophy is involve as many people in the strategy process, involve as many people as is practical. Mm-hmm. So for some, that might be 15 people. For others, it could be organizationally wide, 90 people, okay? So whatever's practical for you. And I think by doing that, what you do is unlock the, the entrepreneurial talent that exists amongst every person mm-hmm. and amongst the entire organization. And it's, it's really interesting because in the workshops I do, you hear ideas and your thought might be, you know, I, I never really saw that angle or that doesn't make sense. And then lo and behold, a couple of years later, you look back and say, I tell you what, that person was, was spot on. So yeah. nobody, you know, the future is very democratic. And if you think about the long-term future, let's talk about 2030. There's no facts about 2030. And so if there's no facts about 2030, there can be no experts about 2030. So all of a sudden, when you're thinking about the future, regardless of whatever level you're on within the organization, everybody's at exactly the same level. Therefore, it's a democratic process and every person's idea is really as valid as as each other's. And so my philosophy there in terms of finding those unicorns, whatever, is to develop the process input, to implement the processes that involve as many people as is practical. And I think that's how you get a diversity of opinion. But more importantly, I think you're giving people a forum to to actually express those views. And, and I think what I've found, and I'm sure what everyone will find, is that people relish that opportunity to talk and to be involved of about conversations about social change or about how they see the future and so forth. Yeah. So that lifting up from kind of the operational conversation to much more of a Kind Holistic, of, yeah. yeah, absolutely, and people really enjoy that. And I think the the thing is, you can't just do it for hearsay. As a leader, you have to, I would say, do less of those moments and, and collate the information, then demonstrate that it's been acknowledged. Because at that point, no idea is a bad idea. Mm. So we have to. I do. I call it the boomerang effect. You have to hold a forum and then display the results and thank everyone, but not hold several of them. Just be really purposeful. Mm. So less is more. Yes, Quality purpose, forums. Yeah purpose behind it, share your information and recognize people's input. Let them know they've been heard. Whatever we're talking about here, the greatest thing you can ever give someone is significance. Mm. And that's what we're really talking about. Your company is significant. You're significant. This book is significant. So Steve, Ty on rethinking strategy, 
You can't forecast 2030 and say you're an expert because there are no facts on it, something I didn't know, but it's the truth. So if anyone calls himself an expert on 2030, just shoot them to this podcast. Um, Steve, thank you very much. We've talked about clear foundations, being curious about the future, finding unicorns inside the organization, democratic thinking that this is basically an opportunity for everyone to add value because everyone has vision and that organizations need to rethink how they use data and the questions they place around it. Rearview vision is a smaller one. Looking forward means actually asking more questions. Yeah, I think so. You're spot on. Yeah. So you can hear more about Steve by getting the show notes on the vitalitycoach.com.au. This will be episode, I think, 106, 107. I want to get out as fast as possible so we can have you geared up for organizational change in the best way possible. I'll also put the contact details down if you want to have Steve the speaker. He is very, very interesting when he's not been interrupted by me and has some real insights. And first and foremost, I think never shy away from intellect and be curious yourselves. The book is available as well. Steve, one last mantra of yours at the moment that propels you forward. We're going to have another interview about you personally, but what's one tiny little mantra you could leave everyone with with this episode today? Gee, that's a, that's a big way to finish there. Um, I like to finish grand. Um, look, I, I, think, um, I think you're right, just... Um to uh, encourage that intellectual curiosity. And I I like to think of myself as um, intellectually uh, curious. And um, I think that's one of the keys to to success within any organisation or even as an individual to maintain that intellectual curiosity. So that's probably one of the key drivers. Of my, of my life. I love that. So always be curious, people, um, and remember that every single conversation you have could be something that's incredibly insightful, even if it's around the dinner table with your children. Um, we don't know it all. Quantum physics tells us that. So keep an open mind. Remember, stay healthy, wealthy, and wise. You are absolutely in the driver's seat of your life. On this show, we don't do hope projects, but we do give you the tools to navigate for seamless success. So tune in. Mojo Maker is on Spotify, iTunes, and everywhere else. Uh, And it's a pleasure to have incredible guests like Steve. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Cheers. Uh, Have a great day, guys. And we'd love your feedback and reviews. See you next time. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we'd love your review on iTunes. Or you can jump online to thevitalitycoach.com.au. For more from Nikki, to sign up for the Monday Mojo and the Vitality Coach TV on YouTube.